Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus said that to a great crowd of people, folks from the city and from out in the countryside and beyond all the way to the coast, men and women who knew what it was like to face conflict, to bump up against adversaries out in the market or at work or at home. When you do the right thing, but you're blamed for doing the wrong thing, be merciful. When you're encouraging and kind, but she responds aggressively and it cuts deep, be merciful. You go out of your way to do good, but then it's turned on you and you suffer as a result. Be merciful, just like God is merciful. Oh, it's easy to love those who love you, to do good for those who do good back to you, to lend to those who you know will repay you. Keep at it. That's good, but don't stop there. Love your enemies. Do good to those who harm you. Lend without any expectation of a reward. Do that and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do you think that's easy to do? Jesus taught like that because he wanted those people that listened to him to see their adversaries through new eyes. Their colleagues at work who were unfair, their neighbors who were unreasonable, their family members who were unpleasant. Have you got anyone like that? We, we want to learn to see our adversaries through new eyes. Whether they're an everyday annoyance or a true enemy. And we're going to see how to be merciful, and David is going to teach us how by example. There's a scene in which King David faces an enemy up close, and instead of responding to that man's aggression in kind, he is merciful. Here's the scene. David and his small group of military men are fleeing from Saul. Saul is the failing king of Israel. He had been anointed as the king. He had served that role. He was continuing to serve in that role. But he was so faithless that God decided to replace him with David. And at the point that we're going to pick up the story, David remains loyal to Saul. Even though Saul is a failing king, David is faithful. He's been serving as a military leader for Saul. And yet Saul sees that David succeeds in everything he does. And so Saul is so filled with a jealous rage that he decides to eliminate David. He's trying to kill him. And David and his men are hiding. And Saul has heard that they're hiding in the wilderness. And so Saul gathers some troops to go and try and eliminate David. Can you imagine being in that kind of position where someone's after you? Have any of you got people like that? Okay, here's how the action begins. It's in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, 
and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. David and his men are out in the middle of nowhere. That's what the rocks of the wild goats means. This is not a place where you want to settle down. They're camping out in the wilderness on the western shore of the Dead Sea, where the land slopes drastically down into the water. And they're hiding there, and Saul has organized 3,000 elite troops. Those are the best soldiers in all of Israel. Five times as many men as David has hiding out. Now watch what happens. This is verse 3. He came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Hmm. Saul and his men are moving along the road by the shore, and he has to go to the bathroom. And so he climbs up the slope to a cave there, uh, and he goes inside and he gets to business. Here, look at this. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Saul, <laughs> wow. Saul is as vulnerable as a man can be. And what he doesn't know is that back in the shadows, there is the one he's pursuing, David, and all of his men. And they're watching now from the shadows as the leader of that army that's come against them, as the king, who is so utterly faithless, is there, vulnerable. And watch what happens. This is verse 4. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Right there they are in the shadows and they're watching, David's watching. The men whisper, kill him. God's totally cool with this. That's the modern translation of there. <laughs> this is your chance. This is your chance to end this drama. Here's the moment where victory is yours. All you need to do is reach out and take it. That's what they say to him. And so look at what happens. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. Out of the shadows he moves quietly. He creeps up toward his adversary. He removes his knife from its sheath and he begins to move it toward Saul. But then instead of thrusting it into his kidneys, he gently picks up the cloak, which is there on the ground, and he cuts off the corner. And the men are watching this whole thing happen. And then he takes that corner of cloth and he retreats back away from Saul, who doesn't know. He had no idea how close death was to him. And he goes back into the shadows right beside the men. The men with David cannot believe what they've just witnessed. To them, it looks like David is insane. But listen now, that's because they don't have the same eyes which David has. In this moment, David sees his adversary differently than they do. Why didn't you kill him, they ask. Why could you do this thing? There they wait. Saul finishes and heads out of the cave. And then the men watch as David quietly walks toward the cave entrance. He stands now out of the shadows in the light, and he waits until Saul and his men are far enough away not to be a threat anymore, but close enough to hear. And David shouts, Hail, 
Hillel, king. And Saul turns around and he sees David at the entrance of the cave. But instead of standing up, David is actually kneeling down like any good subject would be for a king. Can you imagine being Saul in this moment? He can't, Saul can't even process what he's seeing because it's suddenly clear to him. And then David says to him, why do you listen to the voices that tell you that I'm against you? And he holds up the corner of his cloak that he cut off. And he says, look, look at this. There's no doubt now in Saul's mind. And then David explains to Saul at a distance there why he chose to treat him like he did. We'll look at that in a moment. But as David explains, I think that Saul couldn't even process it because mercy like that is impossible to understand. Did you hear that? This is important that you would grasp. Whatever you think about God, can you see that mercy like that is impossible to understand? Yes or no? Can you see the power in mercy like that? Maybe you say, no, that's ridiculous. That's definitely what the men with David thought. But I'm telling you right now that the most potent weapon that God has put in our hands against wickedness is mercy. I thought you'd react more powerfully than that. <laughs> Saul is so stunned, he says this. This is verse 16. Is this your voice? My son, David, he knows it's David, but he can't believe it. He thinks, my, my ears and my eyes must be tricking me because it's impossible to imagine that I could have been right there and he didn't kill me. And then he actually asks this, verse 19, for who has ever found an enemy and sent the enemy safely away? Isn't that a great question? Here, the answer is only the person who's learned to see their enemy through new eyes. That's the only way it can happen. I can't wait until the end of the sermon to let this out. I can't listen. We, I, am the enemy who God chooses to let go safely away because Jesus is mercy. And Jesus is God with us, with me and with every one of you. I left that out a little too soon. It was supposed to wait till the end. <laughs> how, does, how does it happen in the moment? How does David do this? And there's an answer, by the way, in what David chooses to say to Saul. In his speech to Saul, he shows us how it is possible to be merciful like that. And listen to me, please. Some of you are dealing with enemies that are as vicious as Saul was. And I beg you to please just do your very best to have your heart open to God. Jesus doesn't want people to abuse you. He wants you to, to practice mercy, which is beyond you. It's impossible. Others of you will think, well, I, know, I don't have anybody pursuing me with an army of elite soldiers, so this will be interesting, but it's not for me. No, you, you are tempted to be unmerciful to your friends, to your spouse, to your coworkers and your children and your parents. Amen? Amen. 
So this is for you. How does a man like David practice mercy in a moment like this? There are four observations that I've made from what he says. David refuses to do two things that are really easy to do. And David chooses to do two things that are really hard to do. Two refusals, two choices. The first refusal. And this is the first step that any one of you and and me right here and all of us would have to take if we were going to actually be merciful. He refuses to reduce. Saul is a bad guy, but David refuses to reduce his adversary to the worst behavior of his adversary. He refuses to conflate the true Saul with the terrible person that Saul is being. In the mo- and this takes a lot of work. This is very hard to do. But, but he refuses to do what is so easy to do, which is to turn your adversary into the worst thing that they're doing to you in the moment. Don't you do that? I know I do. He won't, David won't look at Saul as if this is who he truly is, this man in this moment. All of the men at the back of the cave with David, they look at Saul as if he is his actions. And that's why they say, kill him. But David refuses to reduce him to that. And you can see it in the words that he speaks to Saul. Here, look at verse 10 in 24. He says this, some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. The men who urged David to kill him did so because they reduced Saul to his actions. David remained uh, cognizant of the truth that was still true, even though Saul behaved as if he was the Lord's enemy, he still was the Lord's anointed. That's not easy to do. That's very hard to see. Uh, If you don't know the story of Saul, he was anointed king. He was a terrible faithless man because he cared more about what the people thought of him than what God told him to do. And so God decided to anoint David to replace him. But at this point still in the land, Saul is the Lord's anointed, the king, and David knows it's not time yet for his role as king to be fully unfolded. And so he looks at Saul beneath his sin to who God said he was. And the only way we can have any hope of being merciful merciful to our adversaries is to exercise the same refusal. You think of the person right now who's your adversary. And for some of you, this is impossible almost, but try. The only way we can be merciful to that person is to say, he is not the wrong choice that he's made. That's not him. They are not those crazy ideas that they have and they keep spreading. She is not that frustrating thing which she's doing and it's making my life hard. I need to know, are you with me so far? Okay. So if you do that and you hear me saying right now, well, is this pastor telling me that it doesn't matter that they're doing bad things? No. No, of course it matters more than you know. It matters more than you even know. But there's a second refusal that is an ingredient to mercy without which you cannot be merciful. And that is that David refuses to retaliate. 
And he does that because he refuses to reduce, okay? Retaliation is one of the easiest things to do when you're being mistreated. How do I know? Because I want to retaliate. I know this. And, and, and I, the way I do it often is in my imagination. And I'm good at it. I usually, it's when it's too late, right? After you've left, I should have said that. But, but listen, David's choice not to see Saul as his worst behavior enables his second choice, which is to refuse to retaliate. And it's not, this, please hear this, it's not because Saul thinks the guy doesn't deserve to be punished. He does. He's being wicked. It's because Saul is not, listen now, is not David's responsibility. David is not the one who's in charge of punishing the wrongdoer. Someone else is responsible for that. Do you know that? And you can hear it in this next thing that, that David says to Saul after saying, I, I, don't want, I didn't want to kill you. I, I refuse. Look at this. This is verse 12. He says, may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Let's take the second part first. My hand shall not be against you. That's his way of saying, I refuse to retaliate. I will not let your behavior determine my behavior. Is that easy for you? No, it is not. It is so easy to retaliate, but mercy requires the refusal to retaliate. Please notice the first half. He does not say, well, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. He says, may the Lord avenge me on you. You know what that means? God's going to deal with you, and I want him to deal with you. And it is okay when you are mistreated to want that. It is not okay if you are going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, if you are going to have any hope of practicing mercy, it is not okay to take vengeance into your own hands. Because as the scriptures say many, many times, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do you know that passage? Good. So when you are in that moment, whether it is a terrible and drastic and dramatic enemy, or it's that thing that she said that annoys you again, refuse to retaliate. Refuse to reduce. Refuse to retaliate. What about David's choices? Well, the first choice, it's, it's, it's a choice, and it's not just a natural attribute that people have, he chooses to be humble. Now, before we unfold how it works for David, I want to clarify here that many folks think you're either humble or you're not. But the truth about humility is that every time a, a person is humble, it is a conscious choice. It might not look like it, but it's a choice. And it's the choice not to demand what you deserve and the rights that you have, but instead to lay them aside in the moment because it's what's required if you are going to be merciful. Try now to imagine this. David at the opening of the cave, Saul down there. In this moment, do you know what David could have said? He could have said, Saul, I am the king how dare you treat me like this? Do you remember Goliath? I took care of him. He could have said that, right? He could have said, every time the Philistines came against us, who led the troops? Me. 
And if it weren't for me, you'd be nowhere. How dare you treat me like this? If he had said that, it would have been completely reasonable. But he doesn't do that. He could have. He doesn't do that. Instead, he makes a choice which you have to make if you're going to be merciful. And it is to be humble. Please understand, that's not a feeling. It's a decision to say, I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm not going to say, I deserve this. Here, it's hard to see in, in, in the English here, but let me read it for you. He says this, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A single flea? Now, those folks listening would have known that a dead dog in 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 the poetic traditions in ancient Hebrew, that was an image of the most contemptible and insignificant thing anyone could dream of. It was a way a poet would say, the smallest and most meaningless person. David makes it even more profoundly humble by saying a single flea on that dog. That's David's way of saying, let's be real. You have 3,000 of the toughest fighters in all of Israel, and it's just me. Look how small I am, and this is... This is the force you muster against me. Look at me. Do you see that humility there? Yeah. That choice, that is the first choice that we see in David, which is a very, very hard choice to make, but it's the choice required if you're going to be merciful. Uh, do you have the reaction that I do when you're mistreated yet again to say, I, I don't deserve this? Why should I be treated like this? Yeah, of course, that's a natural feeling. But, but the path of mercy is to, like David, set that aside and say, I'm going to be humble in this moment. Why? Why can he do that? Again, it's not because he thinks, well, it's just going to, everything will be fine, or it is what it is. You, people, you hear people say that? Sometimes I'm going to punch that person right in the face. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's a good statement, but other times it's like, no, it isn't what it is. It shouldn't be like this, Right? And so he chooses humility, but this is the second choice. It's he chooses to trust. Every single thing that he wants to have control over in this moment, which is the right thing to want to control. Listen now, this is the secret. David trusts God to manage that. That's why he can be humble in this moment. I'll just say this. If you, if you don't have faith in God, you don't believe in him, do not listen to what I'm teaching you this morning. Don't do it. Don't. Fight. If you don't believe in them, fight. Just be meaner than they are. Get back at them. I'm serious. But if you trust God, if you believe in him, then be, choose humility. And, and, and that, re that requires you also to choose trust. You hear it in the very last thing that David says to him in verse 15. See if you can hear what David is choosing to trust. Watch. May the Lord... Therefore, be the judge and give sentence between me and you. May he see to it and plead my cause and vindicate me against you. David is choosing to trust that God will manage every single detail that, of course, he naturally wants to manage himself because he's a human being, just like you will want to manage. But tr he's trusting God to determine who is right and who is wrong. And that's why he doesn't need to pass judgment in this moment. 
He's trusting God to decide on the sentence against Saul. And that's why he can leave the punishment up to God. He's trusting God to see this whole mess through. And that's why he doesn't have to try and manage every bit of it himself. He's trusting God to plead his case. So he doesn't have to work at justifying himself. He's trusting God to vindicate him in the end. Listen to me. God will. God will. God will vindicate those who walk on the right path and the wicked will have to stand before God's justice. That's the truth. And you can trust that. And and the only way that in this moment he can choose not to judge and let go of all those things is because he's choosing to trust God. It is not an easy thing to do, but to be merciful, you've got to do that. You've got to trust God like this. Can you do it? I'm glad you didn't answer too quickly. (laughs) I mean it because to refuse, to reduce that person, which is the easiest thing to do, is hard. And, And to refuse to retaliate, which is the easiest and most natural thing to do, that's difficult. To choose, on the other hand, to be humble is extremely hard instead of asserting your rights. And and to choose to trust God when it doesn't look like he's judging right now or standing up against that enemy in the moment, right? It's so hard to do, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. so try this now. And and I ask this in humility to, to see yourself there with whatever that situation is. For some of you, I know exactly what it is because we've talked and I've been praying for you, I promise. But others of you, I don't know, but picture yourself there with that person. How can you do it? Do you remember what Jesus taught? We started with this when I was standing here. Do you remember what I read? Here, look, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now, those two words, just as, there's just a single Greek word there, kathos. Sometimes it means just as in the way that. Sometimes kathos means because, since. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to you right now, brothers and sisters, and he says to you, be merciful since God, your Father, is merciful. How is God merciful? How is God the Father merciful? Here, look at those four that list of four that we observed of David. Look at that first one there. He refuses to reduce. Before that is a statement about what David did, that is the truth about what God does for every one of us. God refuses to reduce us to our worst behavior. He refuses to reduce me to my sin. He refuses to look at any one of you as if you are the worst thing that you've done or all of the many little things you've done. Instead of looking at you like that, he sees you differently. It says so in the Bible in many places. God is the one who does not deal with us according to our transgressions or deal with us according to our sins. But as far as the east is the west, so far he removes our sin from us when we trust him, when we fear him. God is merciful to you by refusing to reduce you. 
To that worst thing, instead he looks at you and he sees his beloved son or daughter. And because he's done that, and since he's done that, then you can also do that for others. Do you see it? Look at the second term. He refuses to retaliate. Every single sin of yours, of mine, is an act of aggression against the benevolence of God. Every impatience and cruelty, whether in deed or thought, of mine against my fellow man or woman is an act of aggression and misdeed against God himself. How does he respond to me? He does not retaliate. Thank God. The worst of all, in the scriptures at least, seems to be the Apostle Paul. Do some of you know his story? He was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christ's followers, to kill them. And that's when he met the risen Jesus. And instead of punishing him, what does Jesus do? He opens his arms to him and he says, I love you. I've got a new task for you. That is true for you. Even if right now you are rebelling against God and retaliating against him in your heart and you leave this place and you decide to say no and you turn against him, he refuses to retaliate. He's merciful to you. Thank God. You know that the, 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 the record of your wrongs, if it were a mile long, the scriptures tell us that God takes that out of your hands and he nails it to the cross in Christ Jesus. It's not yours. He won't retaliate. Look at the third one, he chooses to be humble. One of the most distinctive features of the entire Christian faith is that it alone says that divinity reveals his magnificence and his omnipotence and his, his sovereignty by humbling himself and being found in the form of a slave. Do you know this from, from Philippians chapter 2? Have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he wasn't, had equality with God, did not consider uh, his divinity something to be exploited, but he humbled himself and he became obedient even to death on a cross. He humbles himself. God chooses to be humble. So why? So he can be merciful to you and to me. He humbles himself for that and he has done it. And because he has, then we can be humble in the face of our, advers uh, our adversaries. Look at the last one. I, listen, this last one is not like the first three. Because that statement right there is not a statement, first of all, about God. This is what Jesus wants to be true of you right now. Look at it. He chooses to trust. She chooses to trust. That's right now what Jesus, who is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, is hoping for every single one of us right now, that we would be someone who chooses to trust. And here's why, listen. Because when you trust him, then you are the recipient of his inexplicable mercy. The mercy which is impossible. The mercy which would make you say, is that your voice, God, saying to me that I'm your beloved son or daughter? Yes. Yes. Choose to trust right now. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We could render that. You will receive the mercy that is impossible that God gives to you so that you would pass it along to others. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you so very much for your mercy, which surpasses all understanding. 
for your refusal to reduce us to our sin, for your refusal to retaliate against us for our wrong, for your choice to be humble, and for your trustworthiness. I ask that every heart right now, every single heart in this room, every heart that is listening, whether near or far, would be opened to receive your mercy would trust and believe that in Christ you gave yourself for us to rescue us even while we were enemies you died for the ungodly. Bring us to new life right now, believing that and trusting it. And then, oh God, by your grace and your mercy, empower us to stand in the right way in the face of the adversaries who are right now tormenting us. Give us the strength that we don't have to go on standing. God, when we fail, which we will, remind us of your mercy, pick us up, dust us off, tell us you can keep going because I am with you and I am not only with you, but I am within you. By faith, I dwell in you and I empower you for what you could otherwise never do. Heal us, strengthen, empower us, make us bright lights because we're merciful. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus, the one who is merciful. Amen.